Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, it's a, a pleasure, as always, to be here with you this morning. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's great to, to be here and sh- sharing with you. Uh, and uh, I just want to thank you for, for having me. Uh, but uh, as St. Patrick's Day is celebrated all over the world today, uh, often uh, highlighting both the, the best and the worst aspects of Irish culture, um, St. Patrick himself is, is often uh, forgotten, uh, more or less. Uh, and so I just wanted to kind of, as we start, point out that it, it's worth uh, um, thinking a little bit about St. Patrick, tr- tracking him down. Uh, if you, you, you can get a, a copy of his confession online, a, a translation of that, um, and, and it, it really is uh, a good read. It's, it's fascinating uh, to, to read his story here about um, him and, and what he did. One of the things I find most interesting about him uh, is the fact that after being abducted from his home as a young man, uh, just just 16, uh, and then eventually escaping from slavery, he then chose to, to return to the, the country where he'd been a slave, to the people who had enslaved him, because he knew that they needed to hear the gospel. What, a, what an incredible act of forgiveness and grace. To, to go back to the people who'd enslaved you, enslaved you because you knew that they needed the gospel. It's, it's clear that St. Patrick ha- had a deep understanding of the gospel, uh, if you read his confession. And this morning, I, I want to take a look at one really central uh, part of the gospel message, uh, forgiveness, and particularly what it means for Jesus' followers to be people who forgive. In the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus sets out the shape and the, the character of his kingdom, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, after t- teaching his disciples about how to pray, uh, giving them the, the Lord's Prayer, it, that includes this line, forgive us our debts as we for- have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus says this, For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a really hard thing that Jesus says here. It should make us sit up and pay attention. If we take what Jesus says here seriously, we have to conclude that forgiveness is a big issue for us as Christians. One that's important for us to, to wrap our heads around. Um, but I, I'm also aware, uh, as I start to talk about this this uh, topic, that even though I, I don't know uh, you all that uh, you guys here all that well, I can be confident that the forgiveness is not an easy topic for some people here this morning, and perhaps for for most of us. I know there will be people here who've been hurt deeply uh, at various points in their life. And so the concept of forgiveness uh, can, can be really difficult, really uncomfortable for us to talk about. For some of us, thinking about forgiving uh, may stir up uh, all sorts of painful memories and, and uncover old wounds. Uh, if that's the case for you this morning, uh, I hope and pray that as we look at what Jesus has to say about forgiveness, you'd experience something uh, of the healing power of the gospel. Uh, Let's take just a minute uh, to pray and ask for God's help 
as we study his word this morning. Gracious Father, I feel totally inadequate to give this talk. Forgiveness is scary and difficult and painful. It's beyond what we can do in our own strength. So send your spirit to teach us and help us now. I pray for your comfort and healing for those who are hurting. And I pray that you would help us all to see uh, where we need to forgive people in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Pretty much the, the only way that I'm qualified to give a talk about forgiveness is that I've a lot of experience in getting forgiveness wrong. For, for a large part of my life, I totally and badly misunderstood uh, what it means to forgive. For a long time, if I heard people struggling and agonizing over forgiveness, I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand. I, I didn't know what the big deal was. Forgiveness didn't seem that hard to me. Uh, I thought maybe it was because I hadn't had anything all that bad happen to me. But, but that wasn't it, not, not really at least. I thought forgiveness was easy because what I was doing wasn't really forgiving at all. My big problem came from mixing up forgiving and excusing. Uh, They're not the same things, though. Forgiveness is not saying that it's okay, that it doesn't matter. I thought forgiving was easy because I would just make excuses for the other person. Uh, They they didn't really mean it. Uh, They had something else on their mind. They... They didn't know how much that mattered to me. And so I would choose not to be hurt by their actions. I'd close myself off and protect myself uh, from feeling the hurt. In protecting myself from the hurt and pain of the times when other people disappointed me or or, uh, hurt me, I closed myself off from those other people. I related to them as if what they did wasn't really important. If that goes on long enough, thinking what they're doing isn't important becomes they're not important. But that's not all, because in this attitude, I was also saying, I don't matter. That the hurts, that that the wrongs that are done to me aren't really significant. I was saying that I don't deserve any better. I don't deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. It's both a failure to love other people and a failure to to believe that I'm worthy of love. You see how badly wrong we can get with this kind of misunderstanding of forgiveness? How damaging the places it leads to are? This, This misunderstanding of forgiveness is also a problem for those who think this is how forgiveness should work but who've been hurt much too deeply to just say, it's okay, it doesn't matter. The hurt and pain of the wrongs that people do to us shouldn't be able to be swept under the carpet like this. And when we try, we either damage ourselves and each other, or we just think that forgiveness is an impossible pipe dream, and we don't even try. I don't think I'm the only one who's made this mistake about forgiveness. Um, Just to be clear, I'm not saying that it's never appropriate to excuse someone's behavior, that there are times when things happen that that aren't really anyone's fault and where there isn't really any blame or guilt. 
when it is appropriate to excuse someone. The problem comes when we try to excuse things that really need to be forgiven. Because forgiveness is a totally different process. So if if thinking of, of forgiving as excusing won't do, then how should we think about forgiveness? My favorite description of forgiveness comes from uh, Miroslav Volf in his book, Free of Charge. He says, uh, the generous release of a genuine debt is the heart of forgiveness. The generous release of a genuine debt. True forgiveness feels the pain of the hurt that's been suffered. It acknowledges openly and honestly the real injury that takes place. There is real guilt on the part of the person that needs to be forgiven. And a real debt has been incurred. True forgiveness doesn't say it doesn't matter. True forgiveness says it matters a great deal. But then true forgiveness releases the other person from their debt. It declares them not guilty and refuses to treat them as if they were. In true forgiveness, the one who is wronged chooses to bear the consequences of the damage and hurt that they've suffered and not hold it against the the, the one who's wronged them. It's a, a true act of generosity and love towards the other person. The generous release of a genuine debt is the heart of forgiveness. If true forgiveness means that we have to feel and bear the cost of the wrong that's done to us, then forgiveness is hard. Uh, Some of you might be thinking, if you're saying that that forgiveness means that the one who's wronged has to bear the cost and the pain of what's being done, then that's not fair. How could it be fair for the one who's been mistreated to bear the cost of what's being done to them? You're right. It's not fair. The the person who's been wronged deserves to bear the cost of forgiveness even less than they deserved the original hurt that was done to them. But we're called to love others by forgiving them anyway. Forgiveness is hard. It's nearly impossible. So how could we possibly hope to live up to Jesus' standard of forgiveness? Why would we even try? I really believe that the only way for us to be able to to forgive like this is to know how much we've been forgiven by God. Um, Turn with me to to Matthew chapter 18. We're we're going to look at uh, a passage there for for, uh, the rest of our time together. Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting at verse 21. Uh, Jesus is again tackling this issue of forgiveness. And the passage starts with Peter asking Jesus about forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter thought he was coming to Jesus to get a a gold star and a pat on the head for his plan to forgive people seven times. Uh, He thought he was doing pretty well here. The the Pharisees said that you should forgive three times. 
Um, so Peter, having spent some time with Jesus, knew that that, that probably wasn't going to cut it. Um, so, so he said, okay, Pharisees, I'll, I'll double you and add one. Uh, surely Jesus would be impressed with that. Um, but Jesus blows Peter's suggestion out of the water, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. It's 490 times. Jesus is telling Peter, stop counting. He tells Peter that forgiveness should be totally disproportional. Think about it for a second. Jesus is saying that if someone hurts you, uh, lies to you, betrays you, then you're to forgive them. And if they hurt you again, you're to forgive them again and again and again and again and again. And we haven't even got to Peter seven times, never mind Jesus' 77 times. Is he for real? Is this really what he's asking? Let me pause for a moment to make something just, just really clear. Continuing to forgive people for the wrong they do to us is not the same as allowing someone to keep hurting us. Um, Forgiving someone means that we no longer hold against them and no longer make them pay for what they've done. But things don't necessarily return to exactly the way they were. Uh, We can forgive someone and at the same time take steps to make sure that they won't hurt us or or hurt someone else again. Um, There are situations when it's not loving either to the person at risk or the pers- to the person who's doing wrong, to allow things to just keep going how they, they've been going. Um, even if we continue to, to forgive the person involved, uh, please hear this clearly. This commitment to continued and repeated forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring or condoning abuse, uh, either to ourselves or, or to others. Again, forgiveness is not the same as covering things up saying that they don't matter or ignoring that they happened. Forgiveness involves bringing light into darkness. It doesn't involve hiding wrongdoing in the shadows. But but having made that clear, Jesus is saying here that when people continue over and over again to hurt or wrong us, we still need to respond with forgiveness, no matter how much they've hurt us no matter how many times this has happened before. They hurt us five times, 15 times, 50 times. Jesus is still saying we never get to the point where we can just write someone off. We never get to the point where what someone has done is unforgivable. Are you serious? We've already seen how how difficult forgiveness can be. How could Peter forgive in the extravagant way that Jesus describes? How can we? Jesus goes on to tell a story that helps illustrate the source that Peter was to draw on to be able to forgive like this. Look back at Matthew 18, reading from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We're quick to see the injustice of the parable. There's there's a huge discrepancy between the sum the first servant owed and the sum his fellow servant owed. Uh, 10,000 bags of gold. In some some translations, 10,000 talents and 100 silver silver coins or, or denarii. Talents and, and denarius were, were units of currency in the first century. A um, hundred denarii wasn't a, a totally insubstantial amount of money. Uh, a day laborer would have earned one denarius for his day's wages. And so a hundred denarii was a little over three months wages uh, for that, the average worker. If we do a little bit of uh, translation conversion in today, today's terms, we can say that maybe a day's work at minimum wage would get you about 70 euro, something like that. Then 100 denarii corresponds to about 7,000 euro. So, so not an insignificant amount of money. I can definitely be, imagine being annoyed at someone owing me 7,000 euro. But much less, that, uh, or, yeah, or even less than that. Uh, the, uh, the point of the story is not to say that, that the debt others owe you uh, in the wrong that they've done is insignificant. The pain that we suffer is real. But when we compare this debt with the first debt, we see the size of the difference. And and with that, uh, the point that Jesus is is making. So one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. So that's about 20 years of work for an average worker. Or we could say about 420,000 euro. It's just one talent. A sum of 10,000 talents corresponds to 200,000 years wages or 4.2 billion euro. So you can see that while the, the debt of 100 denarii was significant, it totally paled in comparison to the debt of 10,000 talents. How could the servant do this? How could he have been freed from so astronomical a debt and then turn around and be so harsh and stingy with this other servant. The second servant offers exactly the same plea for mercy that the first servant does. Where is his sense of gratitude? Where is, is any sense of decency? This guy deserves everything he gets, right? But Jesus isn't talking about money. 
Jesus is answering a question about forgiveness. Who, who do you think we're supposed to identify with in this parable? We're all unmerciful servants. We have an astronomical debt that needs to be forgiven. The response of the servant when the king said that he, he and his entire family were to be sold into slavery was to plead, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Pay back 10,000 talents, 200,000 years wages, the equivalent of 4.2 billion euro. He has no idea how much he owes. No concept of his debt. The amount he owes is so vast that there was no possibility that he could repay even the interest, never mind beginning to work off the capital. This is Jesus' picture for us as he teaches us about forgiveness. That the only way that we can begin to get our heads around forgiving others is to be reoriented in our understanding of just how much we ourselves have been forgiven. While we continue to have a distorted understanding of our sin, we'll struggle to forgive others because we'll look at our sin and say to God, just, just give me a little bit more time and I'll pay, pay you back. I'll make it up to you. God has offered us forgiveness. He forgives us by bearing the cost of our sin and transgression on himself. Jesus died to generously release us from our genuine debt. A debt so vast that it could only be paid for with the death of the Son of God. This is the kind of forgiveness that we need. This is the kind of forgiveness that Jesus offers. And it's only through recognizing the extent to which we've been forgiven that we can move towards being able to forgive others the way Jesus describes. Maybe, in our own strength, we we could manage the Pharisees three times. Maybe if we were really good, Peter's seven times. But the unlimited forgiveness of Jesus is only possible through the work of God's Spirit revealing to us just how much we've been forgiven. It's easy to hear what Jesus says uh, in verse 35 as a threat this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart but the power of this story is that when we look at the unmerciful servant and we see that that's me we say at the same time that's not me no I don't want to be like that we immediately and instinctively reject The idea of being someone who would do this kind of thing. We instinctively know that this this servant's actions are deeply wrong. We see the ridiculousness of it, the pettiness, the unfairness. What Jesus is doing is opening our eyes to the depths of our forgiveness. And if we see that, if we see it clearly, it must impact the way we think about forgiving others. So let's think practically for a minute about about what it looks like for us to forgive in the way we've been talking about. What does it mean for us to release others from from their genuine debt? 
firstly, as we, we approach someone with forgiveness, we need to do it with humility. Um, in forgiveness, as we're, we've been describing it, there's an inherent element of condemnation. Part of forgiving someone is, is acknowledging the hurt that they've done to us and not hiding from it or minimizing the pain. However, the, the humility comes in through the fact that we're called to forgive out of an awareness of how much we ourselves have been forgiven. In forgiveness, we're accusing the other person of wrong, but we don't do that from a place of moral superiority. We must enter forgiveness with an awareness of the depths of our own sin. Secondly, forgiveness must involve a genuine effort to release the other person from the debt of their offense. This means that we no longer hold it against them. We no longer bring it up to them or others or even to ourselves. As much as possible, we forget the offense. We're giving up the right to treat the other person coldly or to be unreasonably demanding of them, to make them pay or to seek revenge in in big or small ways. Our goal is to treat the other person the same way that we treat everyone else. So this kind of forgiveness is a choice that we make more than once. This kind of forgiveness involves making the choice over and over again, not to hold what someone has done against them. Just saying, I forgive you, in most cases, isn't going to be enough. Forgiveness is something that we will have to turn to again and again, particularly for the more severe wounds that we receive. Forgiveness is an ongoing process that grows within us as God works in our hearts. Let me share with you an extreme example of this kind of supernatural forgiveness at work. Corey Tamboom was arrested by the Nazis along with the rest of her family Uh, for hiding Jews in their home during the Second World War. Shortly after their arrest, Corey's father died in prison. And while the rest of her family was released, Corey and her sister Betsy were kept in captivity and and eventually sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. While they were at the concentration camp, Betsy died uh, just before Corey was released from from the camp as the result of a clerical error. And then the week after Corey's release, all the other women her age who were at Ravensbrook were executed. After the war, inspired by Betsy's example of selfless love and forgiveness, in the middle of extreme cruelty and persecution, Corey established a home for other camp survivors. And she traveled wildly as a a missionary, preaching God's forgiveness and, and the need for reconciliation. I'm going to read to you just a a short excerpt from from her autobiography called The Hiding Place. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. 
One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we'd been sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I, I was a guard there. He did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips, Fräulein. His hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a, has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. It's an incredible story, isn't it? This kind of forgiveness is inspiring for us to hear about. We, we find it hard to imagine. But this kind of forgiveness is possible through God's Spirit working in us. Through recognizing the extent of how much we have been forgiven. This is the heart of what I want to share with you about forgiveness today. Forgiveness is the generous release of a genuine debt. We forgive by bearing the hurt and pain of the wrong that's done to us and not holding it against others. And we get this ability to forgive by understanding how much we ourselves have been forgiven by God and at what incredible cost 
It's not complicated, but it's extremely difficult. Why do we forgive? We forgive because God forgives. Specifically, we forgive because God has forgiven us. He's forgiven us an unimaginably large debt. Jesus had to suffer and die on a Roman cross, beaten and tortured. The perfect and radiant Son of God took all of the ugliness and shame of our sin on himself so that we could be forgiven. How can we then turn around and refuse to forgive the significant but incomparable wrongs that others have done to us? We must forgive others because God has forgiven us so much. This is what uh, St. Patrick knew. Uh, One of the most striking aspects of his confession is that the humility that comes through so clearly, the awareness of how much he has been forgiven. Um, It's one of the things that drove him to share the grace of God with others. Uh, The first line of his confession is translated like this. My name is Patrick. I am a sinner, a simple country person, and the least of all believers. There's a humility, an awareness of how much he's been forgiven that flows all through his confession. It's, It's really worth a read. But because of God's work through this man, the forgiveness that he was able to offer, the gospel came here to this country for the first time. We forgive because God forgave us. And because the grace of the gospel is clearly seen as we forgive other people. That's why we forgive. But as I finish talking about forgiveness this morning, I want to end on this thought. Why does God forgive? God forgives in order to overcome evil with good. In forgiveness, God refuses to let the brokenness and damage and evil in this world get the last word. In forgiveness, God brings restoration to those who are absolutely undeserving through his extravagant work of grace and mercy. In forgiveness, God restores the beauty of his creation by blotting out the places where it's been distorted and twisted by the ugliness of our sin. And in calling us to forgive, God is calling us to join him in his work. He calls us to join him in overcoming evil with good and bringing about reconciliation to the relationships and the communities in which we live. In forgiveness, we're invited to play a part in God's work of restoring the whole world to be the place that it was always meant to be. In forgiving, we're living in step with the Spirit. We're demonstrating what it means to be really human. Forgiveness is difficult. It's impossible in our own strength. It's costly and it's painful. But it's glorious. In forgiving, we truly are daughters and sons of our Father in heaven. 